Well, hey, Chris Bunch. How's hey. it going? I'm glad you're here. So, let's get down to it. So, how did the jar come to be? Yeah, very good question. Um, so, I uh, pastored in a small country church for about five years and uh, felt a real sense that um, probably going back into an established church wasn't going to be my niche. Um, and so, in seminary, I actually uh, started um, some house churches in Marion, Indiana, and felt such a huge uh, connection with people who were far from God, much more than people that were necessarily in the church. And so uh, a buddy of mine and I, we started these house churches and really felt like, wow, you know, this is where it's at. I'd say for the first 26 years of my life, I was pretty much focused on the institutional church, how how the church functioned, how I could be the best pastor for the church that was already established. But then uh, when we started doing these house churches, there was like this organic kind of feel of people coming and being very honest and open and transparent. And I was just drawn to that. And so um, after seminary, uh, felt like God was calling us to plant a church. We didn't really know where it was going to be planted at. Uh, we actually had looked at uh, Louisville, Kentucky. I went down there mm. and I fasted and prayed for uh, two days, and all I got was hungry and angry. KFC uh, chicken. Yeah. They have, they have a big like corporate office there. Right. right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes when you're looking for signs, yeah. if it's KFC, for me it was Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Okay. And my grandmother's name was Ruth. My name was Chris. I was like, well, this has to be it. You know, no. this, is, this is where the church is going to be. That sounds like a joke, but you were serious. You're oh, like, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. This is a sign for me. Yeah. What did you think when you strolled across like Louisville Slugger? Yeah. That would, How did you? That didn't come about as no? much. Okay. You know, I didn't think gotcha. about that. Uh, so, uh, but uh, that was not really it. We looked in California. We looked at a church plant in Phoenix, Arizona. And... Uh, I spent probably about 18 months basically just praying and trying to uh, get a group of people together to pray for me. We had about 120 people that committed to pray. Wow. And I was so scared. And, you know, we're in this Anxiety Island series. And so I definitely had a lot of anxiety about starting it. And it was in the midst of that that uh, I was just praying one day uh, kind of flat out in my house. And uh, I've never heard God kind of speak audibly, um, but this is one time where it took place. And uh, he said, I want you to start the church in Muncie and never ask me again. And I felt very convicted by that, and I was like, hey, this is where we're going to do it. Uh, we had done these house churches. I never really pictured us, uh, you know, being more than kind of that, but we started in my home, six people, and uh, then God continued to, to make it grow. Not to sound sacrilegious, but I am curious. Did the voice sound like Morgan Freeman? Or what did the voice sound like? Yeah. Well, it, I I don't know if it, if I can, like, describe the voice anymore. Um, I would hope it would be Morgan Freeman, you know, or uh, Earl James Jones, yeah. you know, like any great voice like that. But, yeah. uh, no, there it was... I mean, uh, it would be weird if it was, like, Vin Diesel or right, something. Exactly. Like, that would be... That'd be kind of weird, right? Yeah. 
Or like Pee Wee Herman. Yep. You know, like that would be You just uh you just like turned like millions of people away from yeah, yeah <laughs> from Christ is like <laughs> like not Pee Wee Herman. Um but yeah, so So it was not a Pee Wee Herman voice. It wasn't Pee Wee Herman or, Vin, or Vin Diesel. Diesel. It was not that. But James Earl Jones and Morgan Freeman. Yes. It was. All right. All right. So you heard the audible voice in it, and Muncie was the direction that you were going towards. How, like, from that point, how old were you? Were you, were you 26 at that point? Um, I had just turned, I think, 29. I was less than 30, so I was mm-hmm. so excited about that. Yeah. And uh, my wife, Jennifer, and I, uh, she's a physician in the community, and um, we didn't have any children, so it was pretty much, you know, just pedal to the metal, mm-hmm. full on. We're going to go after this thing and go from there. So, all right, kind of so like with you leading worship. You know what I mean? Just full on pedal to the metal. Pedal to the metal. I don't think I would have ever described it as pedal to the metal. <laughs> but wow, thank you. You're I, I guess. Um, but yeah, so. I want to take a step back because I'm curious um, about before before the audible voice, before the the um, the house churches of Marion. Like, um, did you have a desire from a young age to be a pastor ever? No. In fact, it's funny. Like as a kid, um, you know. It's funny. I remember. I think I was 13, and in the denomination I grew up in, they had these things called uh, father and son banquets or men and boys banquets. And I remember I was 13, and uh, this guy who was a missionary in Nigeria, his name was Cato Petrie, uh, we were at this, and he came up and he put his hands on my shoulders, which was kind of weird, uh, and then he said, I'm calling you into ministry. And I was like, oh, wow. And at first I thought, oh, this is really great. And then I pretty much was like Jonah for <laughs> the next 10 years or so, just like, mm-hmm. eh, I don't ever want to be a pastor. Mainly because right. my dad was a pastor, um, mm-hmm. and being a PK was not always what it cracked up to be. And so, I don't know, I wanted to do something else. My Chris Bunch, were you a wild child? I, I wasn't wild till college, and then <laughs> when college came, it was, it was wild game on, baby. Child. <laughs> yes. Yeah, all right, yes. gotcha. I guess you're not a child at that point, right? Well, just wild, crazy person. Yeah. Well, this will help you. Um, how old are you again? Twenty-six. Twenty-six. Okay. Well, they say the frontal lobe of the man of a man does not develop until twenty-six. So what a crock of crap! <laughs> it has to be like forty because it's not developed. <laughs> but I know for yeah. me, like I just wasn't. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a lot of maturity there. Riddle me this: What age do you have to be to where you stop doing stupid stuff? Now that I have not learned yet. So it doesn't sound so. like a frontal lobe is processed. <laughs> At least for the male, I think it's working until death. Like 70, 80? <laughs> yeah. Well, we got sidetracked a little bit. So. Ah, I'm sorry. Yeah, so um, from that direction from God coming, to Mun- coming into Muncie, what was that like? I'd love to hear everybody's like first Muncie experience or yeah. something. I mean... Well, it's interesting because uh, Jennifer, my wife, actually did her first year of medical school here in Muncie, <coughs> and um, I lived two hours away at the church that I had referred to earlier in uh, in Lafayette or near Lafayette, Indiana. And uh, she went through a horrible depression. It was our first year of marriage, so we weren't we only saw each other on weekends, if that. And we were like, we're never coming to Muncie. Mm-hmm. Like, we're never going to do this. And 
uh, Jen um, was ready to quit medical school and all that, and uh, God kind of opened a door for her to change uh, schools to come to wow. the Lafayette campus through IU um, School of Medicine. And uh, so then what was ironic when we came for uh, her residency, so fast forward four years later, uh, we were pulling in and Meyer uh, had just been built. It was like, uh, or had recently been built. Um, and uh, we were driving in and both of us just felt like, wow, we think this is where we're supposed to be. And we would have never, like, it was our lowest choice and God opened that door and then later yeah. on opened it up. Because I think he had things even greater than than what we saw at that time. At that point, we just thought, oh, it's going to be for Jen to be a physician, get her training here in Muncie, and then we'll go somewhere else. Yeah. And I uh, really love Muncie, have felt called to it. I got a sign in my yard. I love Muncie. Going to, how did the why come to be? So, like, not everybody knows. You know, I mean, I guess newer people to the jar now wouldn't know, but, like, how many years uh, were you at the YMCA, uh, the church, the yeah. church of the jar? So we spent um, almost two years in houses. Um, I think it was like 18 months. And when we first moved to the Y, I just went down and talked to the guys like, hey, we're a small church. You know, we have like 20 people. We were meeting Sunday evening because we thought that was the cool time for everyone to meet. And uh, so we met upstairs at the downtown Y where there's kind of a child watch area mm -hmm. and we would meet at 630 and then we did that and um, finally we hired a consultant who told us when do people go to church regularly in Muncie right. like if you looked at all the churches and we're like well Sunday morning and he said well why are you having church Sunday night and I was like huh that's a yeah. That's a wise thing to yeah. think about. It's not like I was the son of a pastor or anything. <laughs> exactly. Spending my whole life going to church on Sunday morning. <laughs> we were going to switch it all yeah. around. Everyone could sleep yeah. in. But, uh, yeah. You know, it didn't really work, honestly. Yeah. But then when we went to Sunday morning, um, people actually started coming. Mm -hmm. And we grew to about eh, maybe 40 people. And then eventually sure. moved down uh, downstairs to the gym. And we used half of the gym. Mm -hmm. uh, had a big... Uh, we called it a, the curtain, and the curtain came down in the middle of the gym. And then after a year, we'd grown to the point where we were too much for one side of the curtain. So we lifted up the curtain, and uh, we were so excited. Then we utilized the gym multiple different ways until finally we just couldn't um, meet the needs of seating capacity and that people could actually see the stage. So That's But set up with so much easier now caleb yeah than you would have ever imagined 400 chairs uh in the early days. before the jar was at this or before the jar um was that yeah before they moved over to the civic where they're at now i you know because i was like interim for like three or four months at the y right. so I, I was able to see that but like i didn't see the evolution of what it was where you had the curtain and everything like that but like physically the stage was built every sunday mm -hmm. like put together which is that might sound like, oh, that's not a big deal. No, it was a huge deal. On top of that, how many chairs did you guys have uh, right before the Civic? Like, yeah, a, well, a celebration. Yeah, so we put out about 400 was what we would do. So once you got all the stage up, uh, all the yeah. um, background stuff, everything that you, right. then you were like, oh, now we still have 400 chairs. 
So all the lazy volunteers out there listening to this, <laughs> we used to set up 400 chairs and a stage with all the sound system. <laughs> so it's a lot better now. Yes. And exactly. Josie can cut that out if that's too offensive. But um, going from the Y to the Civic, what was that transition like for you? And, like, you know, you referenced the Anxiety Island, um, the whole campaign. There's a couple other um, areas where we'll get to that because I have a couple questions about that. But... Going from the the why, which is I would imagine after all those years, what twelve twelve years, yeah, ten or twelve years, um, that was like your comfort, you know, that was where that was home, right? So yeah. going leaving your home, going to the Civic to this new place, what was that like as far as like like questioning yourself, questioning? I mean, maybe even your faith, confusion, anxiety, depression. Like, did any of that kind of occur during that period? Yeah. Um, and a new funny. worship leader or worship pastor <laughs> transition as well. Yes. That created the most anxiety, but um, everything else was pretty calm. The though. worship pastor a, thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I get it. <laughs> no, we love Caleb. And we're so glad to. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do. We love him. <laughs> You're ready for a raise, I can tell. Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, so, yeah, it was a huge move. And the main reason was because, like you said, you know, you get – comfortable with what you were and I remember one day uh, I was walking out I was the last person in the gym and I was walking out the door and it wasn't audible like when I felt a sense to start the church but just kind of in my spirit if you stay here you will die and the thing that I started noticing was that the church was continuing to grow but our people were getting exhausted because set up, tear down, all the stuff you have to do, um, you know, and the Y was extremely gracious to us, but it was it was just time. And I remember then just sensing that, wow, we need a new partnership and something that would allow our people not to be as tired. And when the Civic opened and uh, some different people in the church had connections there, just really opened it up. But, but to say that that move was easy and all of that, it wasn't. It took us over a year to kind of plan for it mm. and to figure out how that was going to do. And there's tons of anxiety. I remember, I think it was the night before, no, it was the week before we had our first Sunday there. And people were praying over the chairs <laughs> and praying for other people. And at the end, I was just like weeping. And uh, That doesn't sound like you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I never cry. You know, that never happens. Um but just, you know, just so anxious and uh, – but then, you know, God has a way of, like, helping us to – when we're at the end of our rope, um, he somehow gives more than we could ever imagine and has blessed us, you know, tremendously. And, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a huge gift to be able to be at the Civic. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I know I have heard probably, I mean, at this point, maybe like 50 different weird, like, well, I mean, good weird, like first jar stories, like um, similar to like your first Muncie experience, but like people coming into the jar for the first time. Um, it's always a, a very like unique experience because like what I've noticed is like a, a reoccurring thing is, is that people will say like they, their perception was one way. They come in and then it's not that way. Like, oh, they thought this is the way church was going to be because that's, you know, uh, in first steps with Chris, we always hear different stories. But it's like uh, the tr- the way traditional, quote unquote, traditional church was. They come into the jar expecting like, oh, this is going to be traditional. It's not the case. 
Um, and that seems to be like the most reoccurring thing. So was that an intention from you? Was that like, did you try to, when creating the church, and, and I know like we talked about there's new elevations with the church going from the YMCA, the curtain at the YMCA to the Civic Theater, has the DNA, have you always tried to maintain the same DNA or with like moving places and getting getting bigger, are you, have you have you tweaked that or like what what kind of church did you want to create um, and what kind of church do you hope to continue to maintain? Yeah, well, I would definitely say that our uh, our mission vision has not changed at all. Um, we've always felt like our desire is to love our community into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'll do anything um, outside of sin to try to love people. I mean, I don't care how crazy it is. Um, that needs to be like our new slogan or something. Right? <laughs> <laughs> anything up until about sin. Yeah, I mean, we just do. And I, I remember like one time we were doing, uh, no churches were really doing any um, commercials on television to kind of reach people. And I remember I was like, hey, we should go for that. And so we did. Mm -hmm. And a guy uh, came one Sunday and had his pajamas on. And I thought it, no one even thought anything about it. We just figured, oh, you know, it was just somebody coming to church. Um, because one of the things I love about our community is that from people who are homeless to people who make six figures, they come together and there's a sense of Christ's love that embraces all of them. And this guy showed up and he was, he was there and uh, people were kind of like, you know, like, who is it? We didn't. And then finally they're like, no, dude, he's like one of the actors. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and people were like welcoming him in and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that was one of my stories. I remember, you know, just kind of being crazy that way. But like I said, that the, the vision mission has not changed. We constantly want to be a community um, of faith that loves the community God's placed us in into a relationship with Christ. With that, because I, I think that's like something that attracts everybody to the jar is like how community focused, but also like um, outside of anything but sin, that's, that's awesome. But like loving people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, like understanding what that is with that purpose or that, that uh, vision for the church. What is like the most are the, a couple unique things that you've noticed that like you've been able to take away from like um, being able to see growth and change in lives in the church. Like what with that, does that make sense? What I'm, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're getting to the kind of the crux. It's one thing I think, I think every church in our community loves people. Like, you know, I'm never the kind of person that's like, Oh, we got the corner on the market of how to do that. Um, and there's so many great churches in our community. Um, and one way, I, though, I think that we have a unique DNA is the amount of desire we really want to be transparent and authentic with our story. That none of us are perfect, you know, um, and we really want people to know that. That um, I remember we did a, a series one time called No Perfect People Allowed. And we just really wanted to create an atmosphere where there was transparency, authenticity, and people would get a real sense that, hey, man, the guy on the stage isn't perfect, and he's being very honest about that. Mm -hmm. Then I don't have to feel that way. Right. And I think there was this real sense, you know, of, of always trying to get 
um, both you as a worship leader and our band to be authentic with where they're at and anyone that's there. And then whether it's a small group, our youth ministry, kids, whatever, we really want to let people know, hey, these are real people, you know. Mm-hmm. And we want to have fun along the way because God likes to have fun. So, I mean, he created you, Caleb. So He, he did. Yeah, so he definitely does have a sense of humor <laughs> So for many reasons. So the the campaign that we've been doing recently, Anxiety Island, um, I think something uh, – I mean, there's a lot of unique things with that. But I'm curious, like, what – what sparked that thought for you? Like, oh, we need to do something over anxiety, and we need to call it Anxiety Island. Yeah. Where did that? Where did both those things come from? No, that's a good question. Um, I think when COVID hit, the struggle I think everyone had was um, it created so much anxiety, almost to the point where people couldn't even hear um, how you can overcome it. And I think part of it, too, our nation, you know, has continued to kind of be polarized, too. And so you had people thinking all kinds of thoughts, which created more anxiety and, you know, just a lot of things happening all at once to where in the midst of it, although we were trying to encourage people, hey, God hasn't left you. He loves you, whatever. I think it was hard for people to listen. And then I think as the pandemic shifted and um, vaccines came and as people just felt more comfortable, Mm -hmm. um, just in the sense of like, hey, we can get through this. I think then people were much more open to, you know, um, saying, hey, I'm okay now to like really look at this and like maybe I could make some changes in my life. Now the concept, I knew I was going to teach on anxiety, but I was like, what what could that look like? And so um, I remembered Survivor and how people would be kicked off the island. You know, at the end of that television show, they'd be kicked off. And uh, then I was like, what if we kicked anxiety off the island? Like each one of us have a tendency, um, regardless of who you are, you get anxious about something. And sometimes it can be all consuming. And you can feel like you're the only one that's dealing with this and you're on an island by itself. And if you can kick that off, then all of a sudden it's like, hey, I might visit that island, but I'm not going to live here. And God gives us the ability to know how to to do that. And so that's kind of where that creative thought came. And then obviously you and our creative team, everybody makes it much better than, than my thought. My, mine was very minimal. Uh, I just said, hey, Anxiety Island, I think that's what we should do. I thought it was way more simple than that. I, <laughs> that this is so complicated compared to what I, I thought, you know, like Robinson Crusoe was on an island, right? Like alone, you right. know, scared. Of, okay, well, Anxiety Island, like that's where... Like, you know, like you want to get off of Anxiety Island. Like that, in my mind, that's not Survivor where they're voting off. Like, I didn't think that at all. <sighs> Jeez, disappointment. Like, okay, gotcha. <laughs> all right, Survivor Island. Yeah, um, well, and I remember I was, there was another show, and my wife said, no, don't call it that. It's called Temptation Island, and that was a whole other <laughs> island. You do not you do not want to be on that. I think, I mean, people, obviously, you might have some people that want to be on that island. Yeah, that was a different yeah. series. It yeah. just said, no, don't, don't call it Temptation you, Island. Did you do a series at the jar called Temptation no, Island? No, we didn't call it oh. that. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it was on Temptation, and I thought, yeah. oh, this will be great. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it was. Prevailed. It would be great. Yeah. <laughs> so the next campaign, it'll be Temptation Island. We got off of Anxiety Island, and we have landed on Temptation Island. Exactly. 
And who knows <laughs> what next island there might be. So. so speaking of anxiety, not the island portion, being on stage, I'm sure some people have wondered this, and I wonder it because I have staff meetings with you, and I know you have a weak bladder. Do you ever... <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Do you, do you ever... Have you ever... You've been on stage for a while. Do you ever have close calls where you're like, I got to wrap this up, got to get off the stage, but I still got to keep my momentum here? Or have you gotten a moment where it's like right near the beginning where you're like, oh, no, we're in trouble here? Yeah. Well, um, good question again. I wasn't sure I was going to be asked that. You're on, Chris. Go ahead. Now that I've turned 50, now you can rip on me all the time. Um, So uh, the reality is, go ahead. No, I was going to say, we can go further, but (laughs) no. We've got to keep it About your schedule this week. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I, there's no doubt on the staff, now that I'm kind of fumbling with my words, um, I oh, use the restroom more deal. than anyone else during staff meeting. But on stage, I typically, um, I'm anxious. Mm-hmm. This is what someone, people never, they're like, ah, oh, I bet you feel like a pro. Dude, yeah. I feel totally inadequate every single time. Sometimes I'm right. like, I have nothing to say. Well, you know, this last Sunday, um, I was dealing with something like, Caleb, you just got to pray for me. And then, anyways, mm-hmm. thank you for doing that. Yeah. But it was not, I, I never not feel, I never feel like, oh, I've got this, you know, like, I, I truly feel a sense of like, man, I don't know. If God doesn't show up, this isn't going to be it. And, Luckily, he does every time, and he does what he wants to do in spite of me. But I've never had to feel like I had to leave at the beginning. At the end, there have been times where I'm like, uh, I don't need to go greet somebody right now. I need to. Uh, that was the most pastory, responsible, daddiest way to <laughs> answer that question. That was so mature <laughs> to my immature question. Again, the frontal lobe, there's no way that it develops at 26. Yes. There's no way. Yeah. No way. But I will be honest with you. Like I, it's never been like it's never been like ping, like ping, ping on the stage. I'm not worried about that. Come on, let's not let's be real. It's farting. That's the biggest thing. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm scared to death about like, you know, like there's moments. It's like I always there's two fears I have, Chris. It's uh, my fly being undone. That's that's the biggest fear, like huge fear. And I know it's irrational because it's easy to check that before you go on the stage. But I'll be, sometimes, uh, you know. It'll just hit me like a flash of lightning, like, hey, is your is your fly down right now? You're in between the songs right now, because you, you, you can't check. It's not like you can be like, all right, guys, let's work. All right, here, let's go. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's it's a it's a real struggle. And I'll I'll be honest with you, it is a a piece of that really just adds to my anxiety. So now, what's the other fear then? That and. Uh, defecating on myself on stage. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the most well, responsible way to say that. But yeah, that, that went, went bad. Yeah, um, well, well, I mean, it hasn't went bad yet. Yeah. I haven't done it. Those things haven't. See, look, those are fears you don't have to. Yeah, they're fears they're never for never happen. It's not for the Christmas past. It's for the Christmas future. That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> it's, it's the it's the future of what could be. So you didn't think I was going to ask you questions like this? No. Like, hey, what kind of questions are you going to ask me? I'm like, oh, they're all really uh, responsible questions. Yes. And I even see the questions, but now I have you on camera. I can ask anything I want. (laughs) That's right. I'm in your house. So what's your view on politics? No, I'm just kidding. Um, God loves all politicians. That is my view. Man, gosh. Good answer. Good answer. Um, uh, As far like still on the anxiety wave regarding islands i guess um what is a verse that has been like on your heart because this is something like uh 
you know, that I coming to the jar, um, you've always been really big about like, hey, guys, let's develop uh, a word or let's develop like a verse for your year. And I've kind of taken that in some different directions as well. Like for me, sometimes like it might be a week where I just have like a verse for me. Like this is this is my this is my uh, verse for the week. Sometimes it's just for the day, honestly, uh, just to get me through some some areas, some seasons of my life. But for Anxiety Island, um, for this campaign, has there been like a verse or maybe multiple verses or a story that has kind of been with you throughout the last couple of weeks? Well, obviously, the the scripture that we've looked at the whole series, Philippians four five to seven, that mm-hmm. that's critical. But it's funny for me. So often I've I've already written and I've thought through, and so sometimes that's not the verse that hits me during the the series, although I'm working, because I've worked through that a lot before. But um, my life verse has always been Proverbs uh, 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, Mm -hmm. not on your own understanding, in all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. But it's interesting, the last couple of weeks... Um, I don't know why. It's probably because I battle pride because I think everyone does. And uh, there's a passage in James 4 6 that says, um, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And uh, I've been thinking about that, about what does it mean to get favor from God and what that means is to be humble. And when we humble ourselves, many times we don't have time for anxiety because we're living down a road of humility and we're not trying to be more than we are. Um, And so these verses on humility over the last couple of weeks have really kind of kicked in the most. I love that. Well, Chris, thank you so much for for being with us, man. Yeah, uh, you're doing great, Caleb. Yeah. Are you, is that a question or a statement? No, we'll wait and see if, oh. how the podcast goes. <laughs> how a we'll couple podcasts <laughs> come out, and then <laughs> so it then might we'll be a statement or it might be a question. Might be a question. Okay. All right. Well, as of right now, I'm doing all right. I mean, I still have a job, <laughs> but <laughs> no. Uh, but no, thank you so much, Chris, for being with us and letting us ask you questions about bodily functions on stage and everything else in between. Um, but yeah, we we really um, the anxiety island campaign is is doing a lot of awesome things and. A lot of lives are being changed, and so, um, yeah, we celebrate you. We thank you. Thanks for being with us, man. All right. Yeah. Thanks.